Are you doing this work to facilitate growth or to become famous? Which is more important, getting or letting go? Kelly Butler is a former Winnipeg Blue Bomber, but he also played in the NFL. Butler now works with indigenous children in Winnipeg. Playing for a purpose, works with young people, providing mentorship and creating opportunities. Kelly, as a black man and a former professional athlete, how are you feeling watching all of this unfold? It's your host with the most. It's your boy, KB. How we feeling today? First and 10 at the 36-yard line. Go Boilers. You got to feel that energy. It's March Madness. And for those who want to talk about sports, you got to rep your alma mater. That's one of the things we will talk about today on The Push uh, with KB. But it's March 2nd. How are we feeling? How is it going into the, 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 the second day of the month? Today, we want to talk about embracing the moment. So I'm going to break down the show into two, two halves. Because it is basketball. And I always think it's important to walk you through the timeline to prepare you mentally for what's getting ready to happen and be able to have you make moments and think about what's happening. So make sure if you're listening to this, you're able to have a notepad, you're able to kind of listen to this at your pace, but be able to take it in to digest. There's some important things that I think will be beneficial for people that are going to school and people that are in school and the people that might want to go back to school. And also really this time is about talking about be the, being the first. Um, when, when you look at being the first, I want to be able to, 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 to point out some historical people, especially some historical African-American people that have done things during this time of year, uh, during the time of year and, and to continue to do things. Um, on the second half of the show, it's, what did you think at a certain point in time? And what do you know now? So at a certain point in time, you thought a certain way. And now you think a certain way. So I want to be able to see from my perspective to your perspective, how are we thinking in comparison to, let's say, 20 years ago? Also, I want to say, whose fault is that? You know, when you look at life and you look at where you are, who do you hold most accountable? And last but not least, what kind of actions are you taking to be able to move in a different direction, to be able to change or elevate where you are? So that's what we're going to talk about today on The Push with KB. Once again, I want to say thank you for all of those who are leaving their comments at thepushwithkb at gmail.com. Really, really am getting some positive feedback. And people are enjoying music. People are enjoying the energy and, and, and the guests. So to the guests on the show, thank you very much. And to the listeners, I want to acknowledge it is a challenging time. And being able to take time out to listen, it's important. And one of the things that I want to present is, is the first sound clip. So I want to set this up. This individual was the first coach at Purdue's history to win a national championship. This was the first black female coach in the history to win the women's basketball, college, college basketball. This individual went to Vanderbilt, and, and I've spoken um, in extent on previous podcasts who this person's energy reminds me of, my mother's. Her kindness, her leadership, her style. So with no further ado, I want to give you a sound clip from Carolyn Peck after she was able to talk about being the first black female to win a female college basketball national championship. Here we go, boys and girls. You know, I really didn't think about being the first African-American woman to win a national championship until a reporter asked me about it after the game. And then I had to reflect and really think about the opportunity that I had was because of Coach C. Vivian Stringer and Marion Washington, Marianna Freeman, George Rivlin. I remember I had the privilege of meeting all of those coaches when I got my first coaching job at Tennessee and uh, Pat allowed me to go to the Black Coaches Association and all those great minds, all those great legends were sitting at one table. And it was Coach Stringer that pointed out to me and said, you know, you're the first African-American that Pat Summit's ever had on her staff. She said that to me, and she said, with that comes a lot of responsibility. And you got to think about that. When you are the first, 
when you get your first opportunity, and especially a person of color, that expectation to excel is not only for yourself, but for those who've done it before you, those who will do it after you, and for you to create your own style. Because in those kind of moments, they don't come around often, and, and they're few and far between if you don't necessarily get it right the first time. So when I look at Coach Carolyn Peck or Coach Peck, for her to be able to step to that platform and to do that, but also to say in her doing that, being allowed to have an opportunity and having somebody as Coach Summit who is historical in her lineage of coaching to give that player from Vanderbilt, Coach Peck, the opportunity to be on that staff. She was the first black coach on that staff. So as you start seeing change, you start understanding that when I look at Coach Tiller, I would love to be able to have a moment with him in time. You know, in person, he's no longer with us. But his energy, his message, um, it plays through my mind on repeat. I sit down and study and listen. And one of the things that Coach Tiller said, it was very, very, it, it was simple. And it was straight to the point. Do what you're going do what you say you're going to do. When you say you're going to do it, do it that way all the time. Do what you say you're gonna do when you say when you're gonna do it the way you say you're gonna do it, and do that every single time. You get the gist of it. Be accountable to your words and hold your words accountable daily and do what you said, and you should be able to do the right things. And produce the right produce the right results. And I and I think when you look at embracing in a moment, if you've done the right things up until that moment, that moment isn't as big as people make it out to be. I think a lot of times people look at March Madness as yes, there's going to be emotional moments, there's going to be buildups, there's going to be heartbreaks, but there's also those mental moments that have been building up to this moment. And I think about stages of change. And I look at history and saying, at a certain period of time, I was, you know, uh, you know, came out early from school. And, and that was the first for me. Kelly Butler was the first player from Purdue's history to leave early. It didn't necessarily go as planned, and it broke my heart. It, it broke my heart because I'm going to play a sound clip from somebody that I listen to frequently. People say, do you prefer Kid Rock or this guy? Both hometown heroes and somebody that I listen to. So I'm gonna play this guy. And, and this is how I felt. And I'll just play the, kill, play the clip. I have a new house or a new car. A couple years ago, I was more poorer than you are. I don't got that bad of a mouth, do I? I don't know, do I have that bad of a mouth? But I never did know, you know, the impact that I was going to have on other kids. Because at that point in college, um, I, I was not necessarily ready to, to embrace that role of being a leader. I didn't see how big the stage was set. You know, when you when you look at when you're in the moment, you don't see the magnitude of the moment. So so Coach Tiller did a phenomenal job preparing us for the moment. But I didn't see the bigger picture. And, and at that particular time when I left early. It really took me off the track. And because now being the first person to leave Coach Tiller's or, or Purdue, it, I didn't leave on the right terms. It, it, it wasn't necessarily uh, a good first. The comeback and what we're doing now is truly amazing. And I say we as far as Coach Tiller and myself, the energy of change, being able to engineer a comeback. And I also look at when Coach Carolyn Peck had that opportunity to step up. She stepped up in such a major way. Look at the stage that's set for March Madness and female coaches and female basketball. Just look at the SEC. Just look at that, the SEC. Just, just look at the, the diversity of coaches and look at the inclusion of six female black coaches. 
and look how well they've been doing. And ask yourself, how is that possible now? And saying, when you, when you look at from when Coach Tiller started to where we are now, and you look at the coaches he had under his tree, those are historical coaches. As is Pat Summons, Pat Summit, excuse me, I apologize, Pat Summit's coaching staff and, and what they've been able to do now. And when I look at Coach Tiller, I'm looking at a picture of Coach Danny Hope, who was the head coach for Purdue, the successor after Coach Tiller left. I'm looking at Coach Spack, who was the head coach at Illinois State. And I'm looking at Coach Sumlin, who was the head coach at Texas A&M and is the head coach at Arizona right now. So I look at coaches, and I look at, at that particular time, those coaches, Coach Sumlin was the wide receivers coach, Coach Hope was my office line coach, and Coach Spack was the D coordinator. At a particular time in history, you, I myself, was able to be a part of great people. But being 18, 19, 20 years old, as a player, here's how I was feeling. And the reason why I play that clip is because you look at history being made right now because of March Madness, and you think about Eminem. I never knew I. At that particular time when March Madness was going on, when I was a kid, the team that I loved was Michigan because of the Fab Five. And, and if, you're, if you understand the history of basketball and Fab Five and what they stood for, the Canadian market over here might not be familiarized with the Fab Five, but that, that, that is history. That is what basketball is today. That is what black culture is now because those young men have been able to do amazing things because of those moments they made on the basketball court um, and those moments of being themselves. Coach Fisher allowing them to have a certain style, a signature style. And I think that's when people come up with a signature style of your own. Because we are all, and you have to be honest, we are all emulating, especially anybody that's, I would say, under the Fab Five or younger, their style. The baggy shorts, uh, the black socks, uh, the bald head at a particular time, that whole up in your face, that this. That was that Jalen Rose. That was that Chris Reber. That was that Jawan Howard. That was that Ray Jackson. That was that Jimmy King. That was that Fab Five. Give me that fun five facts about them. They were up in your face. They were fast. They were flashy. And they had it. And they were freshmen. And it was a time when we needed it as a community. It was when basketball needed it. But they were hated by their own institution. But they were loved by the society we know. And what happened? They were young. They were young. But they were willing to go out there and put the work in and were pushed up against somebody that was, let's say, more disciplined or had been to that particular position before. Duke, Coach, Coach K. Coach K was coach, Coach Steve Fisher. Two men two men with great mindsets, but two different men they were motivating. You looked at that team of Duke at that particular time, and you look at the team of Michigan at that time. Young men trying to go out there and win a championship of 64 down to the final four, down to the championship game. And in that moment, one one young man had, you know, with other with four other young men, played extremely well. But on that team, Chris Webber, Jalen Rose, Jawan Howard, Jimmy King, and Ray Jackson, those guys all came together. But one particular person made a call that changed the history because he called a timeout. Very educated person in that moment also traveled. And this play has been repeated over history time and time and time and time again. Because that was the first time Michigan had been there. That was the first time Chris Weber had been put in that position and in that position, he made the wrong call. 
So the first time I got put in that position to make a call, I decided to jump ship and leave early. I made the wrong call. And when you look at life and you listen to the music and you ask yourself, what happens next? This is what kind of happens next. And I think it's really important not to only hear it for myself and not to hear it from people that have made it like Carolyn Peck because her story is phenomenal. And I'm still looking for sound clips to be able to showcase other black women coaches in basketball and other sporting and just in general, their strength and the women's strength in general and the strength of people showcasing them where they started to where they are and that in between. And one of the people that I'm getting ready to speak on is 50 Cent. So I'm gonna let you hear this sound clip right here. I went through a process. A lot of people won't be honest because their image would be up. They've been through the actual experience, but I went through a, a portion of me actually being afraid and experiences. I was hurt physically. I was hurt bad. So I, um, I was afraid and I wasn't comfortable with being afraid. And the only time I wasn't afraid is when I was actively involved in actually looking for somebody connected to it. You look at the bushes, when I see the bushes, I look through the bushes. The paranoia from the experience of actually being hurt heightens your senses to everything, the possibilities of things happening. It shifted me. It's either when you get hurt that bad, either your fear consumes you or you'll become a bit insensitive and you'll start to approach the problem instead of run from it. And when he talks about being hurt that bad, he was shot. He was looking, you know, through the bushes because that's what they were hiding. That, that's He's talking about the scenario when he, his life forever changed. The way he saw the world forever changed, you know, in, in that moment. There was other things that impacted his life, but that way he perceived the world. And I'm going to have you re-listen to it one more time so I can really have you be able to look at how I saw the draft how I see situations and saying, whose fault is this? Whose fault is Kelly Butler, how he sees the world and how he saw the draft? Because here's what happened to me. It's very, very similar to what happened to 50. So I want you to be able to listen very closely because we got about a few minutes left in the first half of the show till we segue into the second half. I went through a process. A lot of people won't be honest because their image would be up. They've been through the actual experience. But I went through a a portion of me actually being afraid and experiences. I was hurt physically. I was hurt bad. So I, um, I was afraid and I wasn't comfortable with being afraid. And the only time I wasn't afraid is when I was actively involved in actually looking for somebody connected to it. You look at the bushes. When I see the bushes, I look through the bushes. The paranoia from the experience of actually being hurt heightens your senses to everything, the possibilities of things happening. It shifted me. It's either when you get hurt that bad, either your fear consumes you or you'll become a bit insensitive and you'll start to approach the problem instead of run from it. I, I guess you're asking, what was I afraid of? So I celebrated too soon. Um, initially, I left early um, for the draft my junior year. So as I, I get on one plane to go train in Arizona and Phoenix, my team goes back and we don't speak. I told you earlier in the podcast how immature that was, uh, and, and that's my fault. I, I also explained to you why I made that choice because of feeling slighted by Coach Tiller and not having a conversation about being not, not making all Big Ten, which was also very immature. Um, the biggest thing that I realized was when I was afraid, my frustration, that was Coach Tiller and myself, that was between me and him. And then I left. And then I came back because you have what's called a pro day. And on a pro day, you're able to A, either showcase your skills or clean up anything that wasn't necessarily great at the combine. So for all of the athletes that listen here, March Madness for basketball, our combine is kind of similar because that's the last time for football players to really showcase themselves before the draft is the combine. And, and, and that's it. So that's your showcase. And 
And, and so the combines happened. And if once the combine happens, excuse me, then you have your, your pro day at your, your school. And after that, you have to wait for the draft. Um, and unfortunately, I did really, really well at my pro day. Did really, really well at my combine, my combine, excuse me. And I was slotted to be in the second or third round draft pick. I celebrated too soon. I celebrated too soon. I didn't, I didn't get on the bus and get out of there. You know, as coach, coaches, there's a reason why players after the game should get on the bus and go home. You shouldn't stay in the city and celebrate. You should go home. And also in celebrating, how you celebrate can really dictate what happens the next day. And what are you celebrating and what have you really done? And, and that was the thing is like, what did I really done? I had showcased that I had the potential to be pretty good, but I didn't have a goal within a goal. I think I, I, in my mind at that time in 2004, I think I had achieved everything. I had become the starting NFL right tackle and all these things set up. So I started to celebrate and I went and celebrated that night. So that night I go out and I don't drink anymore and I look back at my life and saying, what would my life look like if I hadn't drank that night? I wouldn't have a daughter right now. So it's not a bad thing what happened to me because I pushed through it. But I have a lot of PTSD because of this particular night. So after I'm done celebrating um, the night, some of my teammates go back home. I'm like, I'm going to stay out. I'm going to have fun. This is the last time I'm going to be in the city. And I blacked out. If you've ever celebrated after a game too much and blacked out, you're blacked out. So I'm in my city, West Lafayette. I've, you know, done my duties of starting 36 games, leaving early, being immature, and being able to overcome all of that adversity. And I'm gonna be the and I'm the first one to leave early. I'm like, look at me, look at me. Everybody saw me fall flat on my face. I made it real loud when I fell on my face. Really, 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 really loud. And what I mean by making it really loud is, from what I've heard is that night, somebody pulls a gun on me as I'm walking out of the bar. I punch him, we fight, and then I don't get arrested for anything but a public intox. And the irony of the situation is that in that circumstances, earlier episodes, you know, the Purdue police officer that had falsely accused me and mis-ID'd me was still on that Purdue police campus squad. So it was almost some get back from embarrassing him. So whose fault was it? <laughs> Mine. When you're in a hostile situation and you're immature, certain things shouldn't be involved if you're serious. So if you're serious about playing sports, you're going to have to sacrifice. So as we've gone over our time for the first half, there's been a few things that I want to step back and make sure you hear and hear very, very clearly. When you make that sacrifice to go to school, March Madness or, you know, you know, go to Purdue or go to a Big Ten University, some of the things that you want to have the happiness for, you will have to sacrifice how you celebrate after you win. Because if you keep winning and you keep celebrating a certain way, the sacrifices are going to be a lot bigger than the wins and losses on the field. You're going to lose a lot more. And you're going to keep losing because that's how you're going to start self-harming or self-sabotaging. Because think about it. If you're always feeling a certain way at a certain time and you're doing certain things, how are you ever going to get yourself out of that situation? So every time you're struggling, you drink. Every time you're successful, you drink. So you're setting yourself up on both sides of the equation unless you stop drinking. So that's why I stopped drinking. And I also stopped socializing with certain people and saying, what did I really do to celebrate? 
So if I was to tell you to stop and listen to the first half and say, don't celebrate too soon. Stop and really see what is it that you're celebrating. Enjoy it, but be smart. And see, if I celebrate too soon or too much or too big, and I'm not necessarily seeing, you know, the bigger picture, I can only, I can actually hurt myself rather than help myself. And that was one of the things I had to sit with. I can also say that in that circumstances, when I got arrested, I shouldn't have been intoxicated. But that's at the time how college sports was. So I understand that the officers did their job. I also understand that certain officers have access to grind. And there's a certain way to be successful against stereotypical racism. People say, Kelly, how are you able to overcome so much adversity? Simple. Success. And smile. Smile and be successful. Just keep smiling. Because as you keep smiling, you keep finding a way to do this. It's March Madness. What you think and what you know is we know that there's going to be upsets. We know that there's going to be historical moments being made on both sides of the ball. As far as female basketball and men's basketball and as far as on defense and offense and in the first half and the second half. As you go back into the second half, you have to see, well, in the second half, how do we do in the first half? So what do we do in the first half of this conversation? We talked about Coach Peck. Man, my heart, she's special. We talked about March Madness, 64 teams, looking at them, looking at how you see yourself and seeing how well you're going to compete. And sometimes you're going to have to come back and sometimes you're going to lose and say, well, next year should be a better year and being able to evaluate the film. And today's topic is embracing the moment, truly seeing the moment for what it is now, not for what it was then, and what it can be now and how much more beneficial it can be in the future in a positive or negative way. So what you think now compared to what you thought then, I guess the simple question is how much more serious are you taking things now compared to then? So when I look at 2003 or 2004 for myself, I ask you the same question, how are you looking at life? Now, compared to them in certain situations that you weren't successful in. It's easy for people to speak about their success. It's extremely challenging for you to talk about your struggles that you are scared or afraid of. So sometimes when you play sports, you like to run the play again. And when you run the play again, you can see from the offense how we set our offense up and look at the defense and say, all right, the next time I play this, I think we should be able to make sure we can get some more success here. So now I want to be able to say, when you look at what you know now compared to what you knew then, and the biggest thing is, are you still afraid? So let's really ask ourselves that question and somebody can articulate it better than I can. And that is, here he is. I went through a process. A lot of people won't be honest because their image would be up. They've been through the actual experience, but I went through a, a portion of me actually being afraid and experiences. I was hurt physically. I was hurt bad. So I, um, I was afraid and I wasn't comfortable with being afraid. And the only time I wasn't afraid is when I was actively involved in actually looking for somebody connected to it. And you ask yourself, you hear that moment, that moment of silence. What are you afraid of? the image that you want people to think you have. And that's all in your head. The image that you create in your mind that you try and portray in real life and what you consider is to be successful or unsuccessful is that idea. You know, and it was real fear. There was real trauma when 50 got shot. There was real, real trauma getting arrested before the draft. 
But the real trauma set in on on draft day. And triumph also set in that same moment. The moment Coach Olsen stuck up for me in the sixth round, I was able to be drafted by the Detroit Lions. The image of what, you know, certain people thought I was to the, the image of what I really was, Coach, Coach Olsen gave me another shot. And, and, and I will always, always say thank you to that. I will always look at that as something very, very special because if that didn't happen, I wouldn't be here right now having this conversation. So I always like to play these kind of clips for him. So when you got an opportunity to be first and 10 right now, we're going into the second half of the game. So in sports, we're in the second half. Here we go. How do we do the second half? We have to look at what are we talking about right now? Embracing the moment. And we look at what you think and what you know compared to then and now. Are you really making the sacrifices that you need to make to really be able to be the person you want to? Are you? What are you afraid of? For me, I was afraid of, you know, going back to a school, being a failure. And the best way to be able to overcome something is to step up. Is to really, really step up. And, and yes, at, in those moments, I made mistakes. In the moments, certain things happened to me that, that were, that, that, that's part of life. That, that's part of what happens during life. That police officer, how he perceived me and, and what transpired and I was able to overcome because the institution at Purdue allowed me to overcome when he tried to kick me out of school. But I celebrated too soon. So I have to finish what I started and go back to school. And that's the best way to deal with somebody that's jealous or is racist is change the narrative by finishing and challenging yourself. Not for them, but for you. For you. You know, and this is for me too. I'm afraid to let you go. And that's the sad thing about it. People are afraid to let go of that image to really become their 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 reality. Not what's in their mind, you know, what people think they want them to be, but really think about it. Hold it for a sec. Hold it. Close your eyes for a sec, please. This, this just do a mindful moment with me for a couple minutes, a couple seconds. Close your eyes. Or are you actually being real? I know I have my total and permanent disability. When you look at what you are then and what you are now, what character are you playing? And are you playing yourself or are you playing a version of what you want people to think you are? Are you doing those same things then as you are now? If you are, that's on you. I know that it's a challenge to change, but the sacrifices for myself, for my daughter, that's why I'm going back to school. Regardless how it might sound, what I might think, what you might think, I care about what she thinks. Because that's the ability to be able to have people keep being motivated right now. Because I'm her dad. I'm only her dad. She only gets one of those. So I'm going to be the first dad for her, her only dad, to, to, to graduate college. That's going to be special for us. So when you look at your moments that you make and embracing those moments as we started, make them for the right people and make sure they see those moments. When you look at blame, how, 
it, it, it's easier to, when, when we want to blame somebody, it, it's easier to blame somebody and then blame ourselves. But if you really want to embrace who you are in this musical moment, you got to think for a sec. You, you really got to think for a second saying, if, if, if you're looking at blaming somebody or putting fault, because on the second half, you're going to look at the first half and say, well, it was my fault. It was your fault. As you're coaching yourself or coaching a team, when you keep pointing the fingers at everybody else, <clears throat> so when you have a conversation with yourself or you self-reflect and you're always looking at other people, Hmm. You're afraid to let go of your ego. You're afraid to let go of something that might have happened in the past. The great ones are able to get over it. If they made the shot, if they missed the shot, they keep competing until they can't compete anymore. They keep coaching and coaching and competing, but they have to let go of the losses to embrace the wins. You can't forget them. You have to learn from them. And sometimes certain losses or certain lessons take longer than others. But it's truly important to take actions if you're going to learn. Once you become knowledgeable, what do you do with it? What do you do when you become knowledgeable? What steps do you take to embrace for yourself and others to help empower other people? You know, when you look back at yourself and you say, well, I did this for who? Going back to school, making a sacrifice, is for myself to show that, hey, Pope, dad's going to finish what he's going to start, but it's for her. And it's going to hurt me way more than it's going to hurt her. The sacrifices I'm making to leave, and I cry daily. Think about it. I, I, I got to leave again as a dad. This time for a positive reason or that time for another reason, but I'm, I have to sacrifice my time with my daughter to be able to hopefully be in a successful situation if anything comes up in the future. Because she only has one father. I'm going to go back to, you know, you know, when we have a timeout, which we are, if we're going to have for a second, we're going to have a little two-minute timeout. And I want to go back to the beginning and have you listen to what Coach Peck said and, and, and hear that. And saying, you can be the first of a lot of things as long as you see yourself as being empowering and taking that power to empower others. You know, I really didn't think about being the first African-American woman to win a national championship until a reporter asked me about it after the game. And then I had to reflect and really think about the opportunity that I had was because of Coach C. Vivian Stringer and Marion Washington, Marianna Freeman, George Ravlin. I remember I had the privilege of meeting all of those coaches when I got my first coaching job at Tennessee and uh, Pat allowed me to go to the Black Coaches Association and all those great minds, all those great legends were sitting at one table. And it was Coach Stringer that pointed out to me and said, you know, you're the first African-American that Pat Summit's ever had on her staff. She said that to me, and she said, with that comes a lot of responsibility. Coach Tiller, I, I look at what he was able to be for us. And Coach Tiller, hold on. When, I, when I'm going to say this about Coach Tiller is his energy to allow for diversity. At a particular time, Brandon Gorn was a starting right tackle. Chucky Kobe, some of the first to do it that I ever saw at Purdue. And, and, and I think I want to say thank you to those guys. Not to Coach Tiller. That's why I said, hold on, Coach Tiller. Giving him his kudos, his flowers. But, you know, Chucky Kobe, 
Thank you, man. Thank you for how you held it down then. Thank you. Thank you for how you're holding it down now for me, how you're mentoring me, how, you know, we're working together on your your, your basic instructions. Um, I, I really encourage you if you are, you know, looking for some coaching and mentoring and being able to to get the maximum potential out of yourself, please reach out to uh, Chucky Jacoby. Uh, he was on one of the podcasts previously. Uh, all of his information was there. Um, and, and Brian Gorn. The reason why I have to say thank you to these gentlemen is because if they went to Purdue and didn't perform off the field, I definitely wouldn't have been able to perform on the field. When, when you take a chance on somebody and they're successful, it opens the doors for other people. It allows for other people to walk through and see this. And then you become the first. And then now, because I had set the pattern to leave early, I was the first to leave early. Then a couple, the next year, Ray Edward leaves early. Then Bernard Pollard leaves early. And you start a new trend. But in that moment, I say, the trend that I started, it wasn't right. It wasn't right because I was leaving on the wrong terms. Do we have all the right talent? Sure. And if you leave, make sure you come back and finish. Make sure you're able to come back and finish because you got to remind yourself. Or a new car. A couple years ago, I was more poor than you are. I don't got that bad of a mouth, do I? It's okay to say that then. Now we do know. I know what it looks like not to have my degree. I know what it looks like to see athletes that have left early and not have something to fall back on and, and overextend themselves financially and the struggles of pulling themselves out of that hole financially, mentally, and emotionally. And I see the pressures to perform day in, day out when you're not on the field. I see when you're unable to perform and, and the repercussions of not being prepared, pre prepared and skipping a step. I don't see Charles Rogers anymore. As much as I want to blame other people, I don't see them. Whose fault is that? As much as I want to, at, at moments, be mad at Nick Saban saying he didn't do enough, Coach Saban, and saying, well, he's the most historical coach at, at Alabama. At one point, Charles Rogers was the most historical player, winning the Belenikoff. And then something changed. Coach Saban kept winning, and Charles started losing. So who can you really blame? At the end of the day, a coach is supposed to teach you something to take for you to go out there and be able to implement that on and off the field. You got to take actions. You got to be able to really remind yourself your why. And we can recap that shortly in the second half. What you think and what you know. At the end of the day, does it matter? Because whose fault is it? When you bring it and you say, where are you going with this? If it's just you, at the end of the day, that legacy that you keep leaving is just for yourself and those footprints. But you're not just walking alone. Other people are seeing you. So when I look at my daughter and saying, why didn't I finish? Why didn't I come back? Why did I stop? I'm going to say, well, I didn't want to sacrifice seeing you. Well, if I don't see, if I see her every single day, every single moment, sure. But that's not how it's going to be. And sometimes that's how life has to go. And unfortunately, sometimes moments in time, you can't get back. Sometimes shots you miss. Sometimes you, you get a lower seed than you, you deserve. And sometimes you got to play against competition you're not ready for. And, and you're going to lose. And then you're going to learn. And then you're going to lead. And you're going to love. I love my daughter. And in loving her, I got to sacrifice my ego and make sure that when I'm there, I'm focused the second time around. 
I'm not drinking this time around. I'm not taking chances, smoking weed uh, in certain situations. I'll stick to CBD. I'm not going to sacrifice seeing my daughter or not seeing my daughter to do something silly while I'm supposed to be being serious. So the why is a lot bigger. When, when, when I wasn't taking football serious, I understand why I didn't take football serious. <laughs> it didn't matter to me. When I was going to tell my mother and father, like, look, dad, I've started for 36 games and broke your records. Ha <laughs> ha. Nope. Look, mom, give me a big hug after the game. Nope. It was just something to do. And I was okay at it. I'm not saying right or wrong. That was just my vehicle of transportation. Then. Now, education and opportunity have to be able to keep me moving because my body's broken. I'm totally and permanently disabled. Physically. Not mentally. My mood might be a little bit off, but my brain is still working. Somewhat. <laughs> but I'm not afraid to ask for help, as I said that before. The image of what I thought I needed to be to the image of what I am is me for my daughter to be a better dad. And the only way I can do that is go back and study and say, Poe, Sometimes dad's going to have to step away and it's going to hurt me and you, but this is how we're going to have to do it. And I'm sorry, but certain situations don't always go as planned. And I still love you and you still love me and I'll see you and I will come back. I will come back. I will never leave my daughter behind. I'm just giving an opportunity for someone when she starts growing up that is there for her and she's ready. So I'm never going to say, oh, people keep saying, are you coming back? I'm not leaving. I'm just going to work and finish what I started. That's all I'm trying to say. Finish what you start. I want to be the first one in my family to graduate because my mother and father, I'm their only child. This is the only time I've ever done uh, a, a half brother, half sister, and not split I, with my mother and my father. I'm going to be the first one to graduate. My sister, I got to catch her. She, she's smarter than me. Sonny's way smarter than me because she graduated from Michigan. It's another reason why I don't like Michigan. <laughs> um, no, I'm joking. They beat us. And I'm very proud of Sonny for graduating from Michigan with her kinesiology degree. And Erica, my other sister, graduated from Michigan. They're the smarter ones of the family. I'm, uh, they're smarter than me. All my sisters are smarter than me. So I don't want to get in trouble with my words. I'm just saying that in certain situations, I was intimidated then. I might be intimidated now, but my why is a little bit stronger because my determination for my daughter to show her that dad can get back up regardless how hard he gets down, knocked down. Yes, it's okay to say you're afraid. Yeah, I might be a little bit bitter. It, it put me in a different position because I had to go out there and look at saying, I can never make that mistake again. I have to see through the bushes. Yeah, I'm aware of the mistakes I made. And I'm aware of the mistakes that I won't make. And I ask myself, if March Madness is about opportunity, I'm back in the tournament, baby. I'm back in the tournament, baby. Because I'm back in school. So it's time to play ball. That's all you can do is play ball and take your shot when it's your time to play. But be part of a team. So I'm part of the Purdue team. Part of the Purdue team. Cheering for Purdue Boilermakers, women, women and men's sports. And right now, I know the men's basketball team will make the tournament. I'm not sure about the women's team, but I'm cheering because we're in the we're in the tournament, and I'm in school, and I'm a student, older athlete. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, give yourself the chance to be ready to get back in the game. And sometimes, when you're back in the game, you might play a different position. I'd much rather be on the bench than playing in the game. And that's why I want to be a coach, a female basketball coach. So I'm excited to see how, you know, uh, my girl Hicks responds after that, that close call with uh, UNC. Um, big shout out to the, the Hokies. Um, they're doing really, really well. Um, big shout out to any of the former Boilermakers that are coaching and playing and to all the women and men athletes. Best of luck. Um, I think it's a time of year that's going to be exciting. And especially thank you for giving us something to think about and, um, besides the negatives. Uh, this is extremely challenging for our athletes because this is not what they're accustomed to. 
and they're doing an amazing job. So I want to make sure to all of our athletes, male and female, basketball, uh, football, I want to say to all our local athletes in Winnipeg, congratulations to the scholarships, uh, to our Recruit Ready kids. You guys are working hard, doing some challenging times. Uh, to all of the athletes that have received the scholarships from playing for a purpose and the Betty Butler scholarships, make yourself proud and honor my mother's legacy by competing daily, doing what you said you were going to do and follow through for yourself. Hold yourself to a higher standard. Be able to understand that it's not just about you, it's about us. And we will respond and we will rebuild. And if we make a mistake, we can build back together. I don't want to be preachy, but I do say that it wasn't by myself that I was able to get back in school. So big round of applause to uh, everybody that was a part of that. Seth, uh, I always give him a shout out. Um, he's going to be a fan of the show and he listens. So thank you. And also to, uh, to, 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 to uh, Purdue, um, I was able to send the $25,000 worth of books to Purdue for the student athletes on the basketball side, female and male. And I'm so excited to be able to start something new during this time of year. I'm also looking forward to, to, to rebuilding and working with future businesses and future people in our community here during Black History next year and also during you know, this time of year. So as you listen, continue to push forward during March Madness. You're playing your game, regardless where you're, rack, where you're ranked at. If you're one, two, three, four, just keep competing, keep pushing and keep believing. I'm going to push you out of here. It's your host with the most. It's your boy, KB. We have, uh, we've had Kid Rock on the show. We've had Eminem on the show. We've had Coach Peck on the show. But I think you got to go out with Coach Peck. We got to go out with Coach Peck because it's March Madness. And she was the first female women's basketball coach, black female, black female to win the national championship. So I want you to listen to that. Hear her words. Take that with you. Please, if you have anything to, to comment, if you agree or disagree with anything, please share your thoughts or suggestions at thepushwithkb at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from uh, you guys. And stay safe. But I'm going to leave you with Coach Peck. You know, I really didn't think about being the first African-American woman to win a national championship until a reporter asked me about it after the game. And then I had to reflect and really think about the opportunity that I had was because of Coach C. Vivian Stringer and Marion Washington, Marianna Freeman, George Rivlin. I remember I had the privilege of meeting all of those coaches when I got my first coaching job at Tennessee and uh, Pat allowed me to go to the Black Coaches Association and all those great minds, all those great legends were sitting at one table. And it was Coach Stringer that pointed out to me and said, you know, you're the first African-American that Pat Summit's ever had on her staff. She said that to me and she said, with that comes a lot of responsibility.